Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. Welcome to episode 131 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we talk with Katie Dubow of Garden Media Group all about 2023 gardening trends. The plant profile is on poinsettia, and we share what's going on in the garden as well as some upcoming local gardening events in the What's New segment. We close out with Dr. Alan Armitage, who returns to share the last word on solution gardening. Note, that this is the last episode of our season three year. We will be back in January 2023 with many more garden experts and inspiration for the coming year. This episode of Garden DC, we're joined by Katie Dubow, president of Garden Media Group, and she is returning to the podcast to talk about 2023 garden trends. Welcome back, Katie. Hey, Kathy. It's so good to be here. Good to have you. And it does not feel like it has been a whole year, Katie, since we had you on to talk about 2022 garden trends. Oh, tell me about it. But in some ways, I also can't believe it's, it's you know, the, the year this report has been wrapped. And to be honest, we're already working on 2024. So <laughs> um, it's just, it's a whirlwind. We put one report to bed and we start working on the next one. So it's just trends all the time in my mm-hmm. world. Well, and that's the way it is for a lot of us who work in publications and communications. It's like one to bed and then no rest for the weary. Just turn around and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> but great. So this focus obviously is on 2023 and what we're forecasting for that. But maybe we'll take a, a minute and go back over 2022 and just say um, what we had you had forecast if that came to fruition or was anything totally wild that that jumped in there. That is a great question. So. Um... Our, you know, we have an overarching trend every year. If you listened to last year, this will be familiar to you. But we like to get all of our trends, figure out what they are, and then have an overarching trend. And last year, our overarching trend was from crisis to innovation. And what we really saw was a year of innovation. And I would say this was a was a wild year. I mean, from the growth of TikTok, seeing people um, really put together some wild and crazy things, especially leaning into, I think this, what we call the creator class. I think we've been seeing a growth of that, that level of segmentation, the, the Martha Stewart's of the world, the New York times, they're no longer our gatekeepers. And, um, I think this kind of, you know, mainstream journalist, or it's, 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 a, a shift in that way, if you will. I don't know about you, Kathy, but I follow a lot of influencers who are kind of journalistic in a sense. They're reporting on things that are not being reported in the mainstream media. So mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. This creator class, um, that one for sure. And shoppertainment, man, I have seen so many brands do a good job at this. Um, it's where you're not only online educating people in, you know, inspiring them, but you're also now closing that loop and you can buy a product. Cause we all know, you know, when we see something online, we want it yesterday. Um, and, but I do think what's interesting about that is I am seeing a shift in people's desire for what the garden offers. And that's that patience, that waiting period. So um, we've actually onboarded a few new employees at Garden Media Group lately. And I've been talking to them about how amazing they will find the garden industry, those who have not come from the industry, because of that idea of um, that waiting period and the the meditation or the, you know, the meditative mm-hmm. qualities that that provides, especially to this generation who is so used to see it, 
order it, have it at my house mm-hmm. by 8 p.m. that evening. Um, and so while shoppertainment was one of our trends, we're seeing that happen. I'm also starting to see a little bit of a shift or a backlash to that. And people really embracing the idea of, you know, Deborah, our friend Deborah Prinzing's slow flower movement, the slow food movement. I saw an article about slow furniture. So, you know, it's really, I think, good for all of us to remember that that's not how nature works. Things are not instantaneous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Slow furniture. That's a new one to me. That's interesting. (laughs) I think some people not uh, intentionally doing slow furniture, but definitely some back orders out there. But yeah, it does make you have to wait and experience anticipation, but also seasonality. Like we learn in the garden that, you know, you can't have necessarily lettuce and tomatoes at the same time here in the mid Atlantic, but yeah. (laughs) So you might have to grow those two different seasons and enjoy them at their height at two different times. But yeah. yeah. Yep. So true. And then um, you had mentioned shoppertainment in that I'm seeing that a lot in social media that um, Mm -hmm. brands are becoming much more playful with their customers and even like poking at their competitors. I don't know if you're seeing that so much in the garden industry. Well, I think, um, you know, that is really interesting. I feel like um, where am I seeing that in the garden industry? We're still, I think, dipping our toes in the social media water. Um, One of our trends this year you'll learn is TikTok. So we're really trying to convince people to be a little bit more ahead of the curve. And I think a a lot of us, this was another great year for our garden industry. I mean, you know, I know 2021 was our best year, but 2022 was still good. And people are just really busy. And so humor takes some time. You know, that kind of stuff takes a real effort and a real time. And I don't know. I've seen some nurseries doing a really good job at content, but I don't know if I've seen like, you know, what Mm -hmm. you're saying. Have you? Yeah, only I would say, you know, in some of the signage and like, you know, how you do the store sign and something tongue in cheek, that's always fun. And then I have seen some nurseries and garden centers on their social media sharing some garden memes and maybe trying out, Mm -hmm. as you said, some TikTok dances and stuff where you wouldn't have seen that in the past where it was just like how to um, and cut and dried. Here's what we have. They're talking more about having fun with things. Yeah. I think the, the one like that pops up is the spring is here. I'm so excited. I wet my plants when you said that. <laughs> yes. It's like, that's the one I see every mm-hmm. year. It's so good. Um, but you're right. I mean, how, cause the garden center translate that store signage into online. And I, I'm waiting, I guess, for them to mm-hmm. do that really, really well. Or to catch Yeah. Mind. I mean, I've seen a few things where they're sharing the, you know, there's those memes about, um, uh, spending too much money and kind of hiding your plant purchases or, or yes. getting permission yep. to um, splurge on plants. Um, yes. Those are always fun. Mm. Yeah. So turning mm. our attention to 2023 and the future ahead, um, this year's report is entitled Backdoor Revolution. Can you define that title for us? Well, the report, so that is one of our trends. That's actually our second trend. The overarching report is called I Believe in Me. So um, this is where, when we were really getting down to it, it was, uh, oh God, what was the working title? It was something that was about um, our personal Mm. freedoms. And it was something that really, honestly, around the summertime didn't feel so right to us anymore because our report comes out to the industry in July. Um, it's released in July. And so we saw this this shift in people starting to really rely, especially over the pandemic, really rely on self then family, and then community, and start to express themselves in ways that did not um, look like everybody else. You know, I feel like the 90s were such a moment of um, the McMansion, right? Where everybody had that cookie cutter house, that little, that song, Little Boxes, Mm -hmm. you know, like that really was, is what I feel like of the 90s. Um, the 2000s were all about like self-care. We definitely leaned into the idea of treat yourself and leaning into that self-indulgence. Um, and when we look at this era that we're coming into, we really feel like it's 
people having a lot more self-identity and not being mainstream and personal empowerment. And the way that our industry steps in in that is if we grew our own food during COVID and those people who are not avid gardeners who really felt like, wow, if I can grow a tomato, I can do anything. And so our lifestyles really reflect that. And so each trend, you know, you'll notice as we go through show how people are really letting their individuality shine and, um, and also the other part of that is that personal reliance. So they're not only letting their individuality shine, but showing how, how they don't need to, again, back to that shoppertainment, like go to Amazon and have something to show up that next day because they're just a little bit more reliant on their community or themselves and they don't need that kind of um, external factor. Interesting. So that's yeah. the two driving forces, individual and then the and self-expression and then access. Yeah. yeah. So we really looked at access as part of the individual. So a lot of um, expression of self. And so whether your accessibility be that you have a handicap or that, you know, whatever your identification is, that you have the ability to access that. Um, you can, everyone can garden. You have just a container, you know, no matter what it is. And it's about we see 2023 being a time when more people have access to those kinds of things. We have access to tools. I mean, you know, educational tools, not literal tools like shovels, but the, the information is there. And so how are we helping our customers really have the ability to lean into, um, you know, leveling that playing field so they have the access to all. And it's not just about, you know, waist-high garden bed so someone in a wheelchair can access it, but it's about that too. So really allowing gardening to be equal for all, that everybody who's got this individual expression that they want to put out there in the world, they can do it through gardening and that they are able to um, find the tools, the education, the inspiration, the products to do that. I love that so much, Katie. That's something I'm always preaching that everybody has room, everybody has a place to garden, mm -hmm. even if you think you don't get creative, you, you know, and garden is how you define it. It's definitely very individual yeah. and doesn't have to be, you know, a 20 by 20 vegetable plot. It could be, you know, that tiny little pot on your windowsill. Exactly. Yes. Hmm. So after um, I'm scrolling through, what caught my eye <laughs> is the Tesla effect. Uh, just because a certain somebody is very much in the news right now, um, so can you define the Tesla effect and what you mean by that? Yeah, well, you know, that's always been like a sexy term, this idea of this, the Tesla, what is, it's almost unattainable. Um, although an Uber driver of mine the other day had a Tesla and I thought, man, Uber, he must be doing all right <laughs> to be driving a Tesla, but it was up in Canada and the gas up there, Kathy was $10 a gallon. So he was like, I just, I can't be an Uber driver and pay that much. So anyway, the idea behind this and the reason we put it first is because we knew it was going to catch people's eye. Like, huh, Tesla and gardening? But it is that effect of that tech is sexy and startups now are wooing their investors by saying, oh, we're the Tesla of fill in the blank industry, boating, cycling, or lawn and garden. And when we were starting to do our research here, it was fascinating that the lawn and garden industry has gone electric or battery powered faster than any other industry. So, you know, a lot of times we already talked about social media. We're not always the first to the gate um, in our industry. You know, we've got a lot of things that are tried and true. And every year we do the same thing over and over again because it performs for us, but we're not always first to the gate. So it was really interesting to me that to see that over the past two years, it, it's our lawnmowers, our, you know, string trimmers, leaf blowers, and that other electric equipment accounted for 17% of the market, hmm. which is three times that of electric cars. Wow. So we're really, really hitting the market hard. And, you know, when I was, before I presented this for the first time, I was shopping for an outfit for my presentation. And I was talking to the woman in the, sh in the store, telling her about where I was going, what I was doing. And she told me a story about how her husband had passed away that year. And that, you know, she seemed to be maybe in her 60s, late 60s. And she said that he obviously, like lots of families, he handled all the outdoor mowing and the leaf blowing and power washing. And she said when she got her first electric 
a leaf blower. She said she felt more empowered than ever. And that goes back to that access. Now, because of some electric piece of equipment, she doesn't have to pull a string to um, turn it on. And she feels like now she's in control of her own domain, of her own home. She doesn't have to, I'm sure, you know, she still mourned and missed her husband, but it wasn't because of a tool of our industry. Now she felt empowered because she could use this piece of equipment. So I loved that story. And of course, right before I was you know, going to present, it really hit home for me that this was an important trend in our mm-hmm. industry. Yeah, I'm loving seeing the conversion in a lot of communities um, to electric. Some of it is mandated by law. Some of it's being phased in over a period, or they might have a buyback program for gas-powered um, fuel and I'm seeing here locally as well in D.C., the Smithsonian converting to electric for their all their garden wow. gardens. And people are wow. super, who are on the staff of them, super excited um, because it's always been right that they said, oh, the battery powered leaf blowers aren't as strong or they don't last as long or it's not going to do the mm-hmm. job. But that's not the case anymore. Exactly. I think um, Ford, the well, first of all, do you know there's a Hummer that's electric now? You remember that car? And then Ford, they released a commercial. It's so powerful. It's their new all electric F-150 and it's pulling a train because I think that there's this common, you know, this misconception that our old battery powered stuff was just not as powerful across the board from cars to, you know, lawnmowers. But now the batteries that we have are so incredibly powerful that they they are. They are able to be as good or even better. So, and your point about um, mandating, I think that's spot on. Arizona is offering vouchers for people to switch and California is actually banning gas powered mowers by 2024. So I've talked to some landscapers and I know that there's some implications. It's very expensive for, you know, a landscape firm, let's say to switch out however many, 12, 15, a hundred mm-hmm. mowers, leaf blowers. Um, so it's something that I know that our industry is closely following the Maryland Landscape Nursery Association, the Pennsylvania Landscape Nursery Association. We're keeping in our, our eye on these things because it really does affect our industry. I think in the long term for the better. Um, customers want it. It's quieter, better for the environment. But I know it is certainly a big cost for, for our industry to think about switching. Mm-hmm. And better for the workers themselves that you know don't have to breathe yeah. in those fumes. So that's always a definite bonus. So I had jumped ahead to backdoor revolution. So now we can come back to that trend. And so that was, um, starts off with, we're in the middle of a housing shortage. And that's a topic that um, is something that I haven't written about, but I do do a lot of research on as a local transit advocate that goes a hand in hand um, with transit access is the housing shortage. There's always a lot of overlap of overlap of those two issues. It sure does. And again, back to that access, like if you want to have a good job or you want your kids to go to a good school, you know, um, you want to live near some shops or walking distance um, to a train, as you said, you know, those are the prime houses. Um, And we don't need to dwell on where we are, were the last Mm -hmm. two years with the housing market. We all know, especially living where you live in a prime area of the country, uh, prices were astronomical through the roof. So people couldn't buy a house. So it impacted the rental market as well. So rentals were hard to come by. Um, How this we think will impact gardening is that, you know, we we get a bunch of new customers from being first time home buyers. So we capture that market, you know, they maybe maybe the house comes with a few boxwoods or, you know, some foundational shrubs and people start to, oh, I want some color in my front door and oh, maybe I'll put in a little vegetable garden. But the experts don't expect that this millennial generation who is our largest generation ever will return to this prime first time home buying years until after 2030. That's what they say is they don't think that the market will really settle. And these people who, you know, can afford that first time house will return to that, that time until then. Mm. Um, So what do we do? So actually this trend was presented, suggested to me by a garden center in Oregon. And they said, have you heard about the backdoor revolution? And I said, I have not, but I love that term. Um, This is happening in some of the, the Pacific Northwest cities, San Francisco, 
um, Oregon, Seattle, this has been happening there for a couple of years, but it's coming across the country that we are missing that middle that, you know, we've got some people who can always afford a house. It's the high end and some lower uh, property markets that are not near those places we already talked about, um, you know, near transit and near great schools. So that missing middle is really, is not available to people. So what is the answer? And what Forbes actually coined 2022 this year, the year of the ADU, and it's the accessory dwelling hmm. unit. And um, if, you know, you guys are listening to this, so if you just Google it, or if you go online and download our trends report at gardenmediagroup.com, there are some fascinating pictures that people have put these little, almost, you know, tiny houses in on their property. So we all know that we have a love affair with the lawn in our country. Uh, so we have these big, expansive lawns that are not doing anything for us, but um, you know, plant, making us pay more property taxes. So what can we do with them? So you put up this little ADU. It helps cut your costs, maybe in your mortgage. You know, maybe you were underwater a little bit in your mortgage. Helps you cut your costs there. Or we've got seniors who are moving in with their kids or children who haven't left the nest yet, but they're able to live in these. Or you can just simply rent it out. So um, this is going to be the, the thing that has held it back has been governmental mm -hmm. regulations that, you know, you can't put something up like this and use a certain number of impermeable, permeable surface on your property. So laws are starting to change and approvals are becoming easier to obtain. So that is great. It's enabling people to have um, just overall more, more places for people to live in these areas, to your point, with better transit or better schools or better jobs, uh -huh. all of the great benefits. Yeah. And I'm excited to say that locally ADUs are being phased in. And there's a yeah. long history in Washington, D.C. about the alley dwellings um, and people converting what were their back garages or carriage houses, um, whether they were legal housing, you know, if they backed onto an alley or not, that went back and forth um, in laws. And those are now the most coveted housing. People really want those tiny houses that are on those back alleys. They're like, oh, they're just little cottages and they're so cute. So this new wave um, that we're calling ADUs, and they're just, you're right, so many gorgeous, cute designs. And even if it's not for separate housing, people are using it as their office space too a lot of times because as they saw during the pandemic there just wasn't space inside for kids to be doing school at the same time as you know another adult working and then you had a, a meeting that had to be taking place and then you're like I have no other space <laughs> so they're also putting them in for that and then that can transition to like the college kid could move into it next and then that could be uh, the mother-in-law next so you know it could obviously be used for different things yeah. And what we really see, you know, obviously all of our trends, we want to tie back to gardening. So here in this case, um, it's not just throwing up a shipping container and turning it into a home. You know, you really, people want them to be landscaped and privacy is really key. So um, you, to your point, you know, if this is your office and your kids are playing in the backyard, you need to make sure you've got some good plants to create that sound barrier. Um, and some, some industry um, folks, you know, our famous knockout roses, they have now bred a petite mm -hmm. knockout rose that I know you're aware of, um, but because we need more small space plants, we just need to fit more plants in the spaces to create it because we have smaller spaces now. So we just need to figure out as our landscape designers are doing a great job with some of these, these ADUs, creating these miniature, beautiful gardens that are packed with color and, um, and do so much, you know, d double duty, whether it be for edibles and uh, ornamentals, privacy, just so many ways that people incorporate plants into these small spaces is mm -hmm. great. Yeah. I'm always like one more window equals one more window box, <laughs> yes. more places to plant. So that's always great to see. Um, now let's turn to the plant talk. Um, that would be T-O-K, not T-A-L-K, um, but I'm sure play on words of that. And I love the illustration. If anybody pulls up the report and looks at it, it's of somebody photographing a lotus flower. And since water gardening is near and dear to my heart, I love seeing that. And who doesn't love a lotus? And uh, yes. And if you have the space for it. <laughs> 
Right, exactly. And I'm so glad you picked up on that because, you know, our report's all about the content, but the words, but we try really hard and work really hard on the design. So nod and shout out to James, who does all of that behind the scenes um, at Garden Media Group. But yeah, plant talk. So that is a division of TikTok that I will tell you, Kathy, is the fourth most popular subject on plant talk is garden. So people think that TikTok is all about dance videos, Um, but it really isn't. And, you know, we don't need to dwell too much on the stats about TikTok, but it is definitely hit the mainstream hard. I think the pandemic did wonders for this platform. It grew rapidly and we don't see it slowing down for 2023. Um, We see people leaning into TikTok for financial advice, for investing tips, uh, and even book recommendations. So have you heard of the BookTok trend? Yes, I was just, because I have a book coming out in February, just exploring some of the hashtags to use for that. Yeah. So book talk, hashtags, I mean, when we put this report together back in July, it was 13 billion times. I'm sure it's grown at least a billion. Um, but people are are loving the recommendations on TikTok that use the hashtag book talk because they feel like it's getting a recommendation from a friend. It's not like a big publishing house and no you know, disrespect to the big publishing houses, but they have authors that they want to invest in and that's where they spend their marketing money but there are a lot of amazing great authors out there that don't get that same kind of investment Mm -hmm. and so people are able to build them up so it's whether it's their people of color or people that just don't get that kind of recognition from their publisher or old books that you know were are amazing that just have been put back on bestseller lists so the thing that we love about the the popularity of book talk is to show okay if that can happen to the book industry, which you look at the the independent bookseller is so much like our independent garden center, you know, that they started to kind of go by the wayside with these giant Barnes and Nobles or borders, but this, they've seen such a resurgence over the past couple of years, the independent bookstore is back and it's a cool place to hang out. And we really feel like that is a very, a parallel experience that the garden center will have. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny if you think about it, that a social media platform is reviving um, the old book reading and that people are getting more into reading books through it. So it's like hand in hand and just shows you that the old ways don't die. They just get rebirthed again and renamed. Yes. I had not thought about that, but you're right. How funny that is. And that people are really embracing the real, like they are going to bookstores to get real books. And that is so such a funny thing that they got them from social media. It's full circle, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. And that they're trading the ideas. And like you said, they're bringing some of the older titles out that might've gotten neglected the first time around. So that's always great to see. Word of mouth is the best way to learn about books, in my opinion. Sure is. Now, are you on TikTok, Kathy? I am. So we're at WDC Gardener. We just have a few videos up there right now, and I've just been experimenting on how to use it best um, and, you know, what's getting the most reaction or not. I'm not out there dancing. Maybe I will. (laughs) (laughs) But I will definitely be sharing some of our garden book picks. Um, We always do a top 10 garden book from our year of reviews. So you just gave me that idea of sharing that on book. Yeah. Well, I think, um, we, you know, we do have a slide for some, there are so many people on TikTok talking about plants. Um, but I think the, the thing that I love to see is that it's not these polished, uh, perfect videos. It's somebody holding a phone, you know, like talking about one of my favorite, uh, accounts as native plant talk. And, um, one of his videos has a hundred, you know, he's got millions of views on every video and he's talking about native plants. I, it just energizes me so much to see that, um, he's just holding his phone, talking to people about the benefits of native plants. And, you know, he's not a purist either. He understands that like not every garden is going to be a hundred percent native plant. So it's all about educating people in a fun, casual way. Um, and if you're out there thinking, oh, TikTok is just for, like you said, the dance, the, the generation Z dance videos, well, you better believe that my mom has sent me TikToks that her girlfriends will text in a group chain, you know, and I, I'm, you know, middle-aged person. I see my TikToks on Instagram. So it's like we, this stuff 
this content still, we call it pass through content or trickle down content. It might start on TikTok, Mm -hmm. but it gets seen by so many different kinds of audiences if it's worth sharing. So true. Yeah, I have a member of my garden club who has posted TikToks and he's very much a senior and he just loves sharing them to our discussion group of all places uh, via email. (laughs) (laughs) And you're you're like, nobody would have been exposed to these garden TikToks without him passing it on there. But that's a great point that TikTok does permeate and it's shareable to other platforms. So see it pop up on Twitter or Facebook Mm -hmm. and you won't realize you're watching a TikTok video, but then you're like, oh yeah, it has a little symbol in the the lower left usually. Um, So I was looking at, you know, some of the other hashtags, gnome core, witch talk, and then finally moon gardens, which we touched on in our um, book, Terry Spate and I on the urban garden. We talked a little bit about moon garden trends. So maybe we should talk a little bit about that here. Sure. Well, what is fascinating to me is so in, we talked about TikTok, they have, they have this book talk hashtag plant talk hashtag. And I, like I said, it's one of the fourth most talked about topics on the platform, but within plant talk, there are little, you know, micro trends that are happening. One is people loving gnomes and they like always love, you know, never goes away, but it's not just the idea that they love the gnome. They want to live that gnomey lifestyle. So (laughs) cozy, colorful, whimsical, decorating their gardens with lots of bold colors and that stuff. So it's just so fun. Um, another one that's on there is witch talk. And, you know, I know Halloween is beyond, behind us, um, but this is people who are really leaning into more that ancestral kind of passed down very much into herbs, growing them, drying them, how to use them. And so I think that it's really important for us to acknowledge that that's out there, not people mm-hmm. necessarily, put, you know, doing spells, but just really leaning into their ancestral roots. Um, and it has 19.8 billion views, that hashtag. So it's it's pretty relevant. Um, and then you see moon gardens and it's like, wow, you know, we've been talking about moon gardens for as old as gardening has been around. Um, but it is still something that Google Trends says is not going to peak until next year. So you and Terry were spot on that this is something that people just love the idea of whether that is, you know, the phases of the moon type gardening or your white garden or, you know, your moon arches. There's all kinds of things that people just love to to tap into that nature aspect of how the moon affects the way that we garden and we plant. And so what exactly did you guys have in your book related to this? Uh, That was under the theme garden section Mm -hmm. for small space garden in that we were talking about, obviously, um, those who work away from home coming home and still being able to enjoy Ah. their garden after work. So that was more of of the moonlight being reflected in your garden by using lighter plant material and that sort of thing. Um, But yeah, touching on the garden cycles of gardening with the moon is always interesting to me. And then of course the Asian style gardens where you might create a moon gate or a way to view the moon at certain times in its cycle is also pretty cool. So cool. Yep. So that's, you know, I think it's important for us who do gardening or have done gardening their whole career. We think about like the backdoor revolution trend with containers, like the idea of, well, container gardening is not new, but the way people are living is new. And so that's how we have to remember that, you know, just shifting our ideas a little bit. So moon gardens are not new, but it's still very relevant. So let's not just try to dump all these old ideas, just like books, you know, like look at what comes around and comes back. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at um, the next trend, the it's all Greek to me, um, the Greek gardening trend. And I was looking at that a few weeks ago and hearing um, how popular Greek gardens were becoming. And I was like taking that literally and thinking, what? Like, <laughs> I don't see, you know, too much Mediterranean plants in the mid-Atlantic. Um, but I was wondering how you all are interpreting interpreting Greek Greek gardening. Yeah. So you mentioned water gardens being a passion of yours earlier. Mm -hmm. And so a couple years ago, Pinterest puts out a big trend report every year. And um, it was about maybe five years ago that they... I mean, it wasn't that they started including it, that people started pinning so many things related to gardening that water gardens showed up in their trend report. So we've been scouring the Pinterest trend report every year to see what else shows up in that report that correlates to gardening. Well, this year they said that 
that uh, Grecian design outdoor and indoor, but outdoor was particularly keen for that generation Z. So our younger generation is really into like whitewashed walls, Greek statuary, all of that Corinthian inspired home decor. And um, we love, I love that idea because we always look for a landscape design trend. Um, and also we, you know, I like to try to figure out native plants and try to get them in every trend because we can't just say native plants are trending. You know, when like the same with pollinators, when, uh, Cheerios takes the honeybee off the box. That trend is here to stay. People know it's pretty mainstream. They understand there's an issue with pollinators. People kind of understand they need to plant native plants, but how are their lives changing and adapting for us to incorporate our native plants into their gardens? And so we think Greek Grecian style is exactly the perfect way because, I mean, I don't know about about your DC or Maryland gardens this summer, but it was really, really hot. And I think our climate's only going to get hotter. Each mm-hmm. summer we're getting hotter. Drought is pushing eastward. You know, our Western friends are very accustomed to saving their shower water and using that on their plants and all their gray water. But that's not something that we usually do here out east. But that's something that is pushing our way. And so we're really going to have to figure out how to grow more Mediterranean plants, more drought-tolerant plants. And those are our native plants. So, um, and and one of the other things we saw this year was gravel gardens. Uh, It was uh, in the New York Times, if you saw that story, a local gardener from PHS, Andrew Bunting, his garden was featured in Mm. the New York Times. Mutual friends of ours, Peggy Ann Montgomery and Dan Benarsik, he's from Chanticleer. They have a beautiful gravel garden, and they said it is the most drought-tolerant way to garden. And so we really wanted to fit gravel gardens into our trends, and we, f- we felt like the Grecian um, style and landscape design was the perfect place for those. For people to watch, you know... Gravel gardens are not for the beginner gardener, for sure. They do, even though they're low maintenance, they do take time to get established. So it's it's definitely more of one of those, um, you know, couple tier up gardener, but it is going to be a way for us to have beautiful plants, have them be more drought tolerant, uh, a zero escaping type of trend and last for much longer. Hmm. I'm glad you noted, Katie, that, you know, gravel gardening or rock gardening is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) And um, do appreciate you mentioning climate change and that could change uh, how we view some of our mid-Atlantic climate and trend towards that Grecian style uh, more and that those Mediterranean choices. But yeah, I still think it's it's kind of funny as a trend as far as the look. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just picturing the statue of David in the middle of this small backyard in a suburban development. Uh, so. It goes back to that, like, individuality, mm-hmm. you know? People exactly. like it, they want it. It's not my style either, mm-hmm. but <laughs> that Gen Z, you know, they like, they lean into the weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I always wonder where it started. Like, where was that tipping point? Where, who was that influencer who posted a picture of a, a Grecian uh, garden? But I can totally see why. It's serene. It's beautiful. Um, you know, the whites and the blues are very soothing. So I can definitely see why that's becoming very popular. Yes. So uh, I know you're not supposed to pick favorites like children, but this is my favorite trend. Um, And, you know, one of the things we're talking about climate. So here we are, we're looking at the USDA zones that were first established in 1960. I did a little research and I was like, oh, interesting. Um, And that since the um, map was last updated in 2012, nearly half the country is at least half a zone warmer. So our zones are shifting faster than we can keep up updating the map. And researchers believe that we're going to continue to march northward 13 miles per decade. So we're warming, right? And, you know, our annuals, obviously no big deal. Our perennials, okay, we can replant some new zone appropriate perennials and have our garden established in three years. But it's our trees that are not going to be able to catch up. They cannot migrate at that same pace of 13 miles per decade. They don't walk that fast. Um, So it's something that 
as we all know, trees are one solution to mitigating climate change, but they're not going to be able to do that if the trees that we currently have planted in our regions won't survive the zone in which they're planted in, in another 10, 15, 20 years. So this trend really leans into research from Davy Tree, who I know is well saturated in the DC market, and a scientist there named, named Dan Herms. You should have him on the podcast, actually. But he did a bunch of research into trees of the future, we call them. And so it's which trees you'll need to plant in your zone now that will survive in the next hundred years. So we're really planting for the future. There are obviously trees that survive now, but a lot of our now trees are not going to survive then. So it's it's a very much um, educational tool for people to understand, you know, both right tree, right place. You know, we still want people to plant trees in the right way. Um, a lot of that is education, but it's mostly really getting people to understand right tree, right place. And so our next is the USDA hardiness zone map. Well, uh, you know, he has a list. I just looked up the list for the DC area. Um, and the Southern Magnolia will be like a great tree to plant the water Oak, which I'm not as familiar with that one. Um, Crepe myrtle, which we know you can plant now, but could, you know, suffer from a frost. American holly and eastern redbud are the five top trees he recommends for the D.C. area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we can see it definitely in our area that some of the older trees are suffering so greatly and we're losing them at such a rapid rate. And so it's such a fascinating topic to talk about some of the ones we can replace them with and have some hope with. And, you know, I've always lusted over those live oaks down in Louisiana. So I'm like, maybe, maybe. Right. And to um, round out our trends, you always have the color of the year, I believe. And this one is interesting um, because it is terracotta, the color of the earth, and certainly the clay that we have in our soil here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, going back to kind of a recap of 2022. So our trend last year we picked was green. Um, we don't always do really nature inspired trends. We've done purple and red, you know, we, um, we just happened to be the last two years, but last year, every paint company, Sherwin Williams, Benjamin Moore, PP and G, they all picked green as well. And I loved that because the reason we picked it was because it was this color of nature. And we all really wanted, you know, they saw that people were really wanting to connect to nature. And that was pretty much the same reason we picked it. So this year, it's been really interesting. We picked terracotta. And then I don't know if you saw Benjamin Moore picked the color called red tone. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it is a very similar color to terracotta. And it's this natural, it's back to what you said about the Grecian style is it's that serenity, this feeling of warmth and calm. It's the feeling of the desert, right? You're, you go out to the desert and there's a lot of absence of green, but it's still a very peaceful place. Um, and so that's what we're finding in this color terracotta. And we're seeing, again, a lot of the paint companies really leaning in to that same earth tone. When we were doing the research, it was earth tones all the way. That's the colors we saw everywhere. We're all about earth tones. Um, and so it was easy for us to pick terracotta because it's such a correlating color for our industry. It just kind of jumped out and we were like, oh, this is so obvious. We think terracotta is going to be a winning color for the year. And we really want people to lean into like not necessarily terracotta containers, which are still amazing, but can you grow more orange hued plants? You know, we love, um, our adobo, adobe orange cone flower or Tacoma red hots are great choices. Um, or there are some plants like copper top sweet viburnum that after you deadhead them, the new growth comes back in like that coppery orange color. So try to like push yourself in your garden design um, by adding a few of the orange plants if they're in your style. You know, we always tell people the color of the year is fun. You know, all the trends are fun. We're not expecting people to go ahead and change their entire business plans because of trends or their entire paint, their entire store terracotta. Um, but it is fun for us. Uh, of course, we love to be right. We love it when Pantone comes out and picks a similar color. But, um, you know, it's not all about that. It's just really about having fun and giving people some something to think about. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, having fun is the key. Like these are not set in stone. <laughs> they they can change and you can interpret them the way you want to. Right. Exactly. Be your individual self. And uh, so that does bring up, you're not the only one prognosticating <laughs> uh, garden trends. So a bunch of others have, have popped up in the yes. last few years doing the same thing. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about how you all come up with your trends and your methodology behind that. Yep. Yeah. Well, someone just asked me the other day, wasn't the Philadelphia Flower Show a client of yours? And I said, well, that's mm. actually how our trends report was born uh, back in 2001. This is our 22nd report. 2003, 23. So we've been doing it a long time. Um, and it's, it's great fun. And we get a lot of media attention on it. We get, a, you know, a lot of people talk about it. So of course people have come out and they want to do their own trends reports. And it's so much fun to watch these reports and see people talking about water gardens. For example, this year I saw one, I'm like, yes, we definitely talked about that five years ago. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, it's fun because there's only so many things to talk about in gardening. So I get inspiration from some of these other reports too. You know, we, I get inspiration for my own garden. I get inspiration for future trend reports. I think it enables us to just see things differently. You know, what's trending always isn't necessarily what's the, the thing that you're seeing everywhere, but maybe it's what's really working or maybe it's what one certain generation or somebody in DC is doing something that we're not seeing here in Pennsylvania. So I think that the, all the different reports, there's a place for everybody. It's a lot of fun. Um, and the way that we do ours is that, you know, like I mentioned at the top of the, the show, we have already started working on 2024. So as soon as we put 23 to sleep, I start like every reading, every email I get, and you, you just start connecting the dots. You know, you see one thing about Grecian style, and then all of a sudden you're going to start seeing a bunch of emails and these Greek heads everywhere. So you, it just starts to connect the dots. We also interview a lot of people. So we interview our, just some media contacts. We interview our clients. We interview some leaders in the field like Dr. Charlie Hall, Bridget, Dr. Bridget B. So some um, professors and, you know, both of them are in economics and we really respect and admire some, some people in the field who every year I say, what's happening, where we are with the recession, where are we with inflation, where are we with sales? Um, And so we, we talk to some of the same people. We try to talk to new people. Um, I mentioned Pinterest. We look at Pinterest trends and we do a lot of research, I guess is the bottom line. Um, and we have a big old folder and then we throw all that spaghetti at the wall and we see what sticks. You know, where are we seeing some of those dots connecting? And a lot of it we've already talked about. So you can imagine in 22 years, um, we don't want to repeat a trend. So it's, oh, we've already talked about that. Oh, we've already talked about that. We've already talked about that. So a lot of it hits the cutting room floor. Um, some of it makes the April Fool's Day trends, like flower beards. <laughs> You've heard of flower crowns, but did you know men were put, growing flowers in their beards? So, you know, some of it's just really out there and, and we do an April Fool's trends report. So, um, and, and, you know, when we release it in July to the industry, we're still tweaking it. So we want feedback from people like, is this actually what you're seeing? Um, the living television trend from 2022 was all about birding and a couple couple people approached me after the, the presentation and said, oh, we made a donation to our local Audubon chapter this year. And you would not believe the reaction from our customers, how much they love that. And they purchased so much more because of their love and passion for birds. So, you know, we hear things like that and it really shows us, okay, we're doing the right thing. We're on the right track. And then we publish it and put it out in the world. Oh, that sounds like a lot of work, but <laughs> a lot of, of great effort put it into that. And yeah, it's always so great to hear direct feedback when you go and present those at those at those uh, industry events and to have that corroborated. And so summing up, you said your favorite trend was the zones. And was there anything? Well, I don't know if I want to go too much into 2024 and give that away too much. But is there any inkling on that horizon um, that you start starting to see come together that you might be reporting on? 
can tell you one that I wish I had put in this report, and that's the anti-lawn movement. Mm -hmm. I kind of alluded to it already, Mm -hmm. but um, it just, I feel like it's going to come and it's going to come fast and people are going to be replacing their lawn with, you know, even more natural gardens or with car- sedges, carex, you know, I think ground covers. that is going to be something. Yep. Ground covers, mm-hmm. totally. So I feel like uh, who knows where we're going to be when we do the report in July, but I'm definitely seeing more and more about people getting, ripping up their lawns. So that's something that's on, on my radar. For sure. Yep. That's definitely a trend we're seeing here as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of ties into the individuality, the access yeah. because you know who wants to be stuck behind a lawnmower um All in the middle of the summer heat and yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing so yeah it's yeah. freeing you up to do other kinds of gardening exactly hmm. so but who knows what will happen by 2024 you know by next year who knows great well we will definitely have you back on to talk about that and Thank you so much, Katie, for sharing these trends with us. And I will say a really quick, happy 2023. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me too. It's so fun and I can't believe it, but happy 23 to you. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Poinsettia plant profile. Poinsettias are perennial flowering shrubs that grow to 10 feet tall in their native Mexico. Poinsettias were introduced into the United States in 1825 by Joel Ponset. They are part of the Euphorbia family. Many plants in this family ooze a milky sap. Despite their reputation, poinsettias are not poisonous. A study at Ohio State University showed that a 50-pound child who ate 500 bracts, or leaves, might have a slight tummy ache. To choose the freshest poinsettia, look at the very center of the bracts or leaves for a cluster of very small green buds with a small amount of yellow. This is the actual flower and is a direct indication of the age of the plant. The tighter the buds with small amounts of yellow, can mean a longer shelf life at home. After you purchase your plant, make sure it is wrapped properly and take it home directly because exposure to low temperatures, even for a few minutes, can damage the bracts and leaves. You can make your poinsettia last longer through the holiday season by placing them in an area that gets bright indirect sun and is free of drafts or direct heat sources. Water the plant by removing the foil or decorative pot cover. Place the plant in the sink and give the soil a good soaking. After the plant has stopped leaking water, place the plant back into its foil pot cover or decorative pot. In recent years, poinsettias are being bred in many color ranges, patterns, and leaf shapes. There are over 100 varieties of poinsettias available. Most sales are still of the classic red kinds, followed in popularity by white and then pink. Florists and garden centers are also applying paints to the bracts to come up with a different color combination, like blue or purple, as well as glittering the leaves. Another fun practice is to train poinsettias into tree forms and topiaries. If you keep it past the holiday season, apply a houseplant fertilizer once a month. Do not fertilize it when it's in bloom, though. After the new year, cut it back to the green leaves Then new growth will sprout, and you can condition it to have it on display for the next holiday season. Poinsettias, you can grow that. What's new in the garden? Well, I did some rummaging under the leaves and found that my hellebores 
are forming blooms and pushing them up. I also spied a tiny dianthus bloom just starting to open, which was a cheerful sight. Over at the community garden, our broccoli is starting to head and we might actually be able to eat some by Christmas. In the local gardening world, there are a few talks going on still and one coming up that I'd like to call your attention to is Peggy Riccio speaking on holiday herbs and spices at the Fairfax County Oakton Library on Saturday, December 17th at 2.30 p.m. This is free and in person. You can register with the Oakton branch in Fairfax County, Virginia to attend that. If you want to stay cozy at home, there's a great series of talks being put on by the Smithsonian Gardens, and they are virtual and on Thursday, most every week during the year, and it's called Let's Talk Gardens. And the next one coming up is December 8th, The Science of Christmas Tree Cultivation, Um, and that is Professor Justin Whitehall, Professor of Christmas Tree Genetics with NC State University, so that sounds fascinating. You can sign up for that for free at gardens.si.edu. Also happening in the area, of course, are the light shows at Brookside Gardens in Wheaton, Maryland, and Meadowlark Botanical Gardens in Vienna, Virginia. Take your family and friends to those. They are wonderful ways to spend an evening in the holidays. And then, of course, the holiday exhibits such as U.S. Botanic Gardens Seasons Greenings with their outdoor train uh, railway, which is just gorgeous this year. Happy holidays and happy gardening. Get low-maintenance alternatives to lawns with Ground Cover Revolution by Kathy Jens. Reducing the lawn is among the biggest trends in homeownership, with an endless stream of homeowners looking for an eco-friendly alternative to a traditional turf grass lawn. In the last few years alone, over 23 million American adults converted part of the lawn to a natural landscape, and now they're looking to do even more. The biggest challenge to adopting this new ideal of the perfect lawn, knowing how and when to replace your turf, and which plants are the best ones for the job. Ground Cover Revolution is here with all the answers you need and some you didn't even know you needed. Included are 40 in-depth profiles of plants and an incredibly useful chart giving you all the specifics on each of those choices for quick reference and to make your ground cover selection process even easier. Whether you want to replace the entire lawn or just reduce the amount of land dedicated to turf, Ground Cover Revolution will help you usher in a new and improved idea what a beautiful lawn should be. Available February 7th, 2023 and you can pre-order it now at amazon.com or bookshop.org. In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen Terry Spade, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space while also making a lush outdoor living area area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden will turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at amazon.com or bookshop.org. Well, good day, everyone. This is Dr. A, a.k.a. Alan Armitage, with my last word on what I see is going on in the world of horticulture. I suppose one could put that in one word, trends. What are the trends I see? Well, I've been around for quite some time, and fads come and go quickly. Trends tend to last a whole lot longer, and Oh, there's a half a dozen trends that we could easily talk about in this little segment. 
Obviously, people are talking about deer, they're talking about natives, and they're talking about pollinators. But I tell you one trend that I see is sneaking into the industry for sure, and it's always been a trend for the gardener. And I call that solution gardening. It is a major trend that we should all know about because it's been around forever, but we're only now acknowledging it. Solution gardening is what my neighbor does, what my daughter does, and what your friends do when they go to a garden center. They don't ask for the newest cultivar. They don't even half the time ask for a petunia or a lobelia. They ask for something that smells good. They ask for something that grows in the shade. They ask for a solution to deer. They ask for a solution to, I don't know, dry, wet, you know, something that may be great for summer color. They are always asking for solutions. Now, this is nothing new. It's just that we tend to get off on this, you know, single thing. Like, we're always talking about deer. Really, really important. I get it. The native thing has arisen in the last 20 years. In the last 10 years, it's like a tsunami. Everybody wants native. I get it. But I think the major trend that overrides all of this is solution gardening. So there you go. This is Dr. A, and that's my last word on trends. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.